and you're listening. And you're listening. You're listening to Sam and Pink. Sam and Sam. To Sam and Radio. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Salmon Fest Radio. I'm your host, Satchel. And I'm Dave. And we're here to give you another episode of celebrating Alaskans' connection to salmon with the sounds and music of salmon fests and interviews with salmon-loving folks. We're recording here from beautiful Homer, Alaska at the Cook Inlet Keeper headquarters. Yeah, and today, as every episode, we want to pause for a moment just to recognize the people who originally established this relationship that we now share with this creature that we love so much, salmon. Cook Inlet Keeper is situated on the unceded territory of the Denina and across the bay, the Supiak people, and we really want to just share our respect and our gratitude for those folks that have stewarded these salmon landscapes for time in memoriam. We're starting with a terrific band who performed not only in the 2019 Salmon Fest, but performed last year on a brand new stage there up in Ninilchik. These are the Burrows, a remarkable show band from Colorado that joined us in our tent behind the main stage last August. Yeah, they've been an awesome band to get to know over the years. We had a great interview with them that first year they performed back in 2019, but somehow lost that interview to time and space. We really don't know where it went, so we were excited to have a chance to talk with them again and bring this interview to you now. And our salmon champion today is another showstopper in our in our crowd. He's a friend and fellow conservationist. He is a bear guide across Cook Inlet, and he has been involved with a lot of the conservation issues that we work on here with Cook Inlet Keeper in regards to bears and bear advocacy. Yeah, this is a really one of my favorite times of the year. It's winter's long fade in that transition to spring. We've got a lot to think about and talk about with regard to bears right now because as spring comes, Alaskans will know it's time to put your bird feeder away. It's time to be more aware when you're out in the trails as these bears start to come out. Uh, we're going to talk about bear biology and bear habitat and their connection, of course, with our favorite fish. So Drew will really highlight that intricate connection between these bears and our salmon landscapes over across the inlet. He refers to them as nature's can opener. They're nature's can opener because they're able to pry open so many things, including uh, salmon, and make that nutrition and protein and fat available to so many other creatures. They serve an important function in that regard. Well, we will hear a little bit more about that from Drew later on, but for now, let's kick it off with some music from the borough. Yo, Alaska, I think people have been doing too much talking. They're talking about right, wrong, war, peace. But what I'm talking about is unity. Unity under this groove. Yo, Alaska, you came down to get down. Come on. Everybody come together now. Every day people talk, we'll have to be Singing in one, two, three 
just joining us you're listening to salmon fest radio and if you'd like to catch up on what you missed you can check us out as a podcast anywhere you get your podcasts i'm so ready to say goodbye to to all the negativity i just do because i just woke up to the fact that i don't need to be like you Oh my God, I think I just found my groove.
fears that I have held true Cause I'm a king holding court Baby, this is the truth Hey Y'all better step back Cause I think I just found my groove Good God I think I just and you're listening to Salmon Fest Radio. Now we're going to head backstage to Cook Inlet Keeper's recording lounge where we talk to the boroughs about their experience in Alaska as artists navigating the pandemic and really what makes them passionate and how they bring that to their work. All right, guys. Well, welcome. Welcome to Salmon Fest Radio. Yeah. Thanks for having us. So and you guys just came off stage from a, another smoking performance. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Um, we'll start with just getting each one of your names, and maybe you could tell us what instrument you play or what you do up there on stage. Awesome. My name is Bree, and I play saxophone in the Burroughs. My name's Mary, and I play drums in the Burroughs. My name's Brian, and I play bass in the Burroughs. guess you don't have to keep saying the name. Uh, my name is Hayden, and I play baritone saxophone. I'm Sean. I'm the guitar man. And I'm Jeremy. I play trombone. Awesome. Well, I just want a little quick history of your band. When did you get together? Where are you from? And uh, maybe, you know, what kind of creative values brought you together? We have been a band for eight years and uh, kind of coagulated uh, at the University of Northern Colorado. Um, uh, several members of the band, uh, like the horn section particularly, had met there and at the time, we had a trumpet player, and he he saw Johnny, our lead singer, playing in a in a bar, and he was like, "Listen, I hear you doing Otis Redding. I hear you doing you know, all this soul stuff. You put together a rhythm section. I'll put together a horn section, and we will just do one show." 
and then that one show happened and it went really well and then shows just kept happening and eight years later they're still happening <laughs> and so it sounds like soul music is a big influence a big genre you associate with your music you know this we're lucky to be here at salmon fest i mean for me this is the first music festival i've been to in a, a year yeah, i mean it's been sure. it's been rough i'm sure for you guys i mean how has it been getting through the pandemic and how have you guys kind of kept yourself busy or you know, what have you guys been doing creatively to get through that? You know, what's it been like? It definitely was, there were some really rough moments. I feel like we got really lucky in that we still get to do some things in Colorado, which has access to some safe outdoor distance festivals. So definitely did way less performing summer of 2020 than we like normally would have, but we did a few things and then we were off, you know, for a good, I think like nine or 10 months from live performance, but we did get in the studio and record some new music we wrote some new songs um we made some music videos and some other creative projects so i think having that time was really you know was really great you know parts of it the pandemic it the pandemic sucked i don't, don't want to like you know force a silver lining but I, I think we feel really fortunate that like everyone all of our band members came out of it like healthy and taken care of and like just that we were able to get back into it and be playing again and be back here is really amazing we also kind of made a point to just allow ourselves to have a break and not feel bad about it you know like um johnny had a new baby and you know lots of us we had different things going on in life and so it was like sort of a natural break and then when we started to come back together there were a lot of ideas floating around, so it was good. You know, it was good in that way. But um, even though it was overall pretty, pretty terrible. <laughs> really, all things considered, we were able to be pretty productive. I think a big focus for us was to, you know, we raised a bunch of money for our local school district to get instruments yeah. and accessibility for instruments through a virtual variety show that we kind of put together throughout the band, distanced, still like not being together at all. Um, finding ways to be engaged but not only like keep our spirits lifted but try to really like share that outward yeah. and the, the community we're lucky to live in Greeley Colorado um, it's a smaller town city so it's really important for us to like you know build the community and not just selfishly our band <laughs> because every show is a gift and an opportunity so I think keeping the focus on the the end, having the end in sight too is really important I think for, for all of us as a band family as well, uh, which helped a lot. It was nice to have each other to lean on and um, to help get through. Well, cool. And and now we're back on stage. And, you know, uh, you know, tell me what it's like being here at Salmon Fest and having a crowd. And so maybe just talk a little bit about the vibe this year and and uh, what, what it's been like playing here. Uh, yeah, it's been great. <laughs> it's like, I mean... Especially because, you know, there's like a year without travel, really. Like, go over to the city next door, maybe, for something. But to get out and, I don't know, you, you get to a crowd and it's like the same crowd that you have at home and it's here. It's, it's different people, but you realize that it's, it's all the same and, and it's awesome. And through this, it's like we all still came out the same. <laughs> we're, all still, we're all still going. And... I, think, I, I think that, like, people right now really, really want to see live music and so like the energy that is given and the output is just like phenomenal it's like surreal it, it, and 
you know, the last time that we played up here, which was three years ago. Um, two years ago. Two years ago, sorry. Um, uh, it was the same thing. Everybody's just out here having a great time, and it's really good. Like, I got a tattoo because of it. <laughs> like, I got a salmon on my arm. Hold that tattoo up to the on mic. My arm because, like, this was, uh, <laughs> this was, it, it was such a great experience, and, like, for most of us, like, it's, like, our second time out mm-hmm. here, and it's just beautiful. It's amazing. The people are always so nice and so friendly, and, like, yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. it's great. <laughs> you got a good thing going here. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's such a it's like, you know, Colorado is beautiful. Um, but it's sort of like Colorado on steroids. You got like the green, you got the ocean, the ocean. and uh, so we've really just enjoyed the opportunity to come here. You know, we quickly fell in love. Awesome. Yeah, I mean I a salmon tattoo, you know, <laughs> what what better validation that this is this is working. Um so what so just jumping off that, what do you think makes Salmon Fest different than other festivals you've played at? Yeah, I think like, you know, sort of a DIY spirit, I think, or like community built spirit, you know, with obviously also like some really killer lineups and like high production value and, and honestly like I feel like the artist hospitality and the way like we're sort of treated and welcomed, it feels really special and, and not every festival has that <laughs> for sure. So um, that's what I would say feels different. Um, I, yeah, I'd say that a lot of festivals now are trying to be more eco-friendly. This one's different because I don't think it's, it's trying to be eco-friendly, but it's more trying to be like friends of the ecosystem and that's it's unique i love that part of it it's something that i like i like to contribute to (laughs) so i think that's really cool all i was gonna say was that everyone seems bought in like everyone i mean every person we've talked to (laughs) i mean almost like everyone we've run into is like oh yeah i'm running events here and this is awesome you know like since the inception of the festival Um, So it's pretty exciting to even like feel welcomed into the community quickly based on just who we're interacting with and the fact that like everyone is kind of bought in 100% to it is really special because I think that that makes its way into the audience too Mm, and it's fun even like meeting people that like come back frequently as audience participants Mm -hmm. too and get the community kind of keeps building outward is awesome yeah. Yeah, I know personally, like, a lot of the artists here and a lot of the attendees, you know, what's, you know, not just, like, the awesome lineups that the festival has and these amazing stages, but also, you know, like you're saying, like, championing salmon. I mean, the the festival, for our listeners who may not know, was started as a way to fundraise to uh, stop the pebble mine. You know, that ethos is what's, like, really propelled and created momentum over these last 10 years and kept people coming back. And so, on that note, I'm going to ask you guys a little bit about salmon. Do you guys... <laughs> Um, have you done any salmon fishing since you've oh, been yeah. here? Do you have any salmon stories? We have we stories. Just, yeah. <laughs> we, we just did for the first time. Uh, we got some salmon out of the Kenai, uh-huh. and it was amazing. It was, it was like a, a dream of mine to come do that, so I was I was so excited about that. Yeah, I, I grew up fishing in Minnesota, but this was way different. Um, so, like, just, man, is it fun to catch salmon. Oh, my gosh. So we had, like fresh salmon like a half an hour between catching and eating Mm -hmm. and we all were just pure bliss like I'm like just eating salmon and sitting by the river and it was so amazing so it was really fun yeah it's great to see them up close too 
yeah. just because it's a food yeah. we all grow up enjoying. It's not the same <laughs> as being here. And we live in a landlocked state, so <laughs> you know. Well, tell me a little bit about in Colorado. I mean, are there other um, things like we don't know about Colorado? Like, is there a something like in, with the environment that everyone mm. should experience there? And B, is that something you guys have you know been able to share with 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 others, either through your work or any kind of activism? Or what's important yeah. to you guys in in terms of Colorado? We love like being outdoors and like having access to public lands in Colorado. We actually did a project in 2018 with an organization called Sustain Music and Nature that does these songscape projects where they partner bands with specific public lands spaces. And so they sent us out into uh, the Roosevelt National Forest, which is in the Rocky Mountains, and we wrote a song while we were up there. And the whole point of it is to raise awareness about how public lands belong to all of us. Like, we are all, if you pay taxes, like, (laughs) we're all stewards of that land. So that was really, I mean... I think we've all always enjoyed the outdoors, but it was really educational to see like how it's managed, what the threats are, like how you can be more aware and more involved. Um, and then, you know, honestly, like a big thing in Colorado right now is air quality. <laughs> like, not to get, you know, too much of a bummer, but uh, right this week, Denver has some of the worst air quality in the world because it, of it, it hit fires. One yesterday, and worst air quality. <laughs> Yeah, and so, you know, just, like, seeing that firsthand through climate change, like, you know, it's summers are getting hotter, fires are getting more intense, um, so that's certainly top of mind for a lot of folks, I think. Water conservation is a huge yep. issue right now, too, because it's, the Colorado River is such a vessel for the entire western yep. coast, California, and it's, I think it's been the driest year on record. Yeah. On that, um, on that trip to the Roosevelt National Forest, we got to see our reservoir, like where the water goes um, to our town. And that was really special to see that place. And so it's an ongoing thing, I think, especially in the West. We're going to be having lots of conversations about what does it really mean to be, you know, stewards of even within the city, like making sure we're composting, making sure that we are being mindful of how we operate our yards and things like that. Very cool. Yeah, and I think I think you you mentioned it already. Using getting involved, they asked you to create a song. Was that what you said? We did. We wrote a song and we made a music video. Can um, you tell us a little bit about. Yeah, that? it's like the song's called "Step Into the Music." It's got cool percussion in it. It's it's, it's danceable. Like a little, little fun insider tip when you watch the video. So we were filming the video before we knew the song because we literally wrote the song while we were out there. So they had to kind of piece together, like. We're like, well, we'll have horns playing at some point. So they're like, we're dancing in a field, but we didn't know what tempo the song would be at or anything. It was pretty funny. Yeah, also makes for great radio describing this music video mm-hmm. to you. But like, if you see it, it's it's us like in a field, like the most gorgeous mountain sunset backdrop, but like with a drum set in the middle of it. So it's it's very it's a little movie magic. It's a nice call to action. You know, step into the music. YouTube. <laughs> you should just, if you go and watch it, just, you know, go to our Facebook and roast us as you <laughs> as you watch it. It'll be great. Well, well, awesome. What we've kind of been talking about is how, you know, like we can use music just to bring people together, you know, when people come out to Salmon Fest, you know, of course they're they're passionate about the issues that that we're championing here and but I think there's also like a, a, a big range of people that probably come to your shows mm-hmm. oh, across yeah. the political spectrum. 
And I mean, have you found challenges, or how do you how do you navigate this idea of like continuing to you know use your music to champion these issues and keep keep your people dancing and happy? And what is that like? Well, I mean, I think it's you know we're saying there's nine of us in the band and we don't have identical belief systems. You totally. know, like we're a community of people who has to have conversations about how we want to live and operate in the world and our community. But I think we all do have commonality where we feel like everyone is deserving of love. Everyone is deserving to, you know, have the things that you need to live, <laughs> have good education and all that stuff. So I, I feel like if, if Johnny was here, he would say like love and unity. We want to make sure people are cared for and we want to make sure that people feel like they have a place at our shows that they can come with people that are not the same as them and just have like a really good time it's been good to have conversations even within the, from the beginning of the band mm -hmm. we've had a lot of conversations about like race and gender and all that stuff because we have you know people of different backgrounds in the band uh and like made strides towards like hey we really would rather not play shows where we're the only band with women on the bill you know like having those conversations with talent buyers um, being mindful of like who we invite to play with us when we have the opportunity to do so and I don't know if anyone has other thoughts about that stuff you know Johnny says yeah we're all about love and unity I know sometimes that can seem like it rings kind of hollow like as if it's trying to like discard the issues or like push them down but I, I think that's really not how we th think about that like we, we try and engage in like those difficult conversations particularly like, and it has to start like with us like with the nine of us like there's like a lot of life that we've lived together <laughs> in eight years with like yeah we play in a band on stage but it's like we also travel together and then like we've seen people like have professional growth and personal growth and build families and have kids and like all you know there's like a lot of experience together and so that's hopefully I hope when people come to our shows like they see that connection with us and like they also feel like it's a space for them too awesome and I think that's like a great a great transition to one of my last questions here which is you know, what do you guys sort of imagine uh, for the future? Like, what kind of a future do you imagine for your for your cool. band as a microcosm, and also just in general for this crazy world that we've <laughs> gone through all these challenges? What's what's your kind of uh, what do you hope for at least for the future? I, I I know for me personally, I don't know if I'm speaking for everybody at this point. We're really just taking it one day at a time, and especially coming out of the pandemic, we've had. You know, like Bree was saying, we had about nine or ten months of no activity, and then we really hit the ground running where we haven't really stopped since mm -hmm. since our first gig back. Yeah, I, I think, like, at the end of the day, I, I mean, there's so many things, like, we do hope for and goals we have, but we just hope to, like, keep getting the opportunity to play music <laughs> and write music and make music. Like, it's a good day when that gets to happen, and so, like, we'll take, we'll take all the opportunities we can get. And, well, perfect. Speaking of which, you know, we've recorded your guys' sets, and, you know, as part of our show, we'll not only, you know, play this interview, but we'll also play some of your music. So oh, cool. is there maybe a track that you guys would like to introduce for us that you guys have played this weekend? Maybe tell us a little bit about how it came about and and just introduce it for us. On the, on the main stage set yesterday, so that would have been Saturday, uh, we did a tune called Zero Sum Game. Why am I talking about it? You should talk about this. <laughs> I did. I co-wrote this song with Johnny, and this is Mary. So it's fun. You know, I'm the drummer, and uh, 
so I sing backgrounds, but this is one of the only times I've ever kind of like taken a lead part in the vocals. And, you know, Johnny came over and we were just going to do a co-writing session. And I had this little idea. It, it's like such a loving song, but it really came out of like a, a moment of frustration of, of just hearing people sometimes like living so much in their own fear that they're convinced that if someone else is like gets taken care of that that means that they're losing something in that experience and and so with that song it was just sort of about you know there are of course we live in a world that has commodities and there are some things that are like fixed but love is not one of those things and we can always share it and we can always uh, be looking out for each other and really just trying to make sure that we all get to I'm really like like gets a little sappy for a minute but like just living a life as good as the, the one that we're living it does make me sad that not everyone gets to experience that and they, like they don't all get to experience having super close friendships and having the feeling of family and community so I, I hope that people are, are willing to widen their scope of who they'd be willing to involve in their there's you know communities so that everyone can experience what, what we get to do as a band awesome well, we're super glad you guys have gotten involved in this community. We're super thankful that you're here. And killer sets. I danced my personal butt off <laughs> last night. So um, really appreciate you guys being here and hope, hope you're back soon. How about an encore from the borough?
This is the Burroughs, and you're listening to Salmon Fest Radio. That was great. And before we move on to our Salmon Champion, I would like to slide in a little primer recording. This is a bear poem by a Fisher poet, Maisie Hermanson, recorded at Salmon Fest 2021. So a couple, two, three weeks ago, I had a little incident. I was heading to set out early one morning, and I was, I was driving away from my house. I encountered a mama brown bear with two cubs, and uh, they were getting into the neighbor's chicken coop, and they took exception to my presence, and she took a little liberty remodeling my truck, um, and so she... Uh, Tore out the grill, bit up the bumper. She was on the roof or on the hood multiple times. Um, it's pretty impressive. I don't know whether to get it fixed or not because it's kind of badass. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, I am very thankful to Toyota for keeping me safe, and I'm very thankful that I. Um, have not had a midlife crisis that has brought a convertible into my life. I stole the title um, from the tagline for Snickers. I call this, you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> Twas an early morning set out. The day seemed far from foul. But then I met Mama Bruin. She was out there on the prowl. My mind was on sockeye salmon while on the drive I'd interrupted her breakfast at 3.45. She was at the neighbor's hen house looking for eggs and bacon, dead set on brekkie from her slumbers shaken. Faster than lightning, she attacked my Tacoma truck. I didn't even have time to say, well, son of a buck. I slammed it in reverse, almost ran off of my hill. About that time, this mama bear took apart my grill. She bit along the bumper, tap danced on my hood. Fortunately, the driver's seat is still clean and good. She kept on a coming. I thought, is this how it ends? Taken for I'm old enough to need them dang depends. <laughs> then suddenly she was done. She left me without speech. I collected myself, quietly headed for the beach. I set the nets, then posted pics. That's when life took a spiral. Someone said, make it public. And the blasted thing went viral. You know life's gone awry when you call Jake to make your claim and he already knows you from your Facebook fame. <laughs> I contemplate what to do after this nightmare day. Think I'll drain the wiper fluid. Replace it with bear spray. <laughs> Looking back, I made mistakes. My mind wasn't working quick. I didn't even think to take that badass selfie pic. <laughs> but hindsight's 2020. Isn't that the kicker? I should have rolled down the window and handed her a Snickers. Wow, this is turning out to be a sound and light extravaganza, inserting a poem into our format. I think that's a breakthrough with that we should all celebrate. But now it's time to pivot to our recording with our friend Drew Hamilton. 
One of the ways that people find out about the bears across Cook Inlet every year is by following the National Park Service's Fat Bear Week, where people can build their bear brackets just like March Madness season, where they they bet on which bears have gained the most salmon and berry weight leading up to hibernation season. And these bears are numbered and named, and, and people really go all in on fat bear season madness. Yeah, I actually don't think any money actually changes hands in a bet, but you can certainly vote for your favorite. So we think of that time of year, and these big, burly, bouncing bears, they go into the uh, den, they come out skinny bears. And that's what we want to talk in part with Drew today. Let's go to Drew and learn about these now skinny bears. Hi, Drew Hamilton. Welcome to Salmon Fest Radio. It's an honor to have you on. How do you describe your title? I mean, what's on your business card, Drew? <laughs> well, uh, you do have to wear a lot of hats, but I would say if you boiled it down to its essence, I'm a bear viewing guide. Uh, I've been taking people to see brown bears uh, on the west side of Cook Inlet there for over 20 years now. I've worked in a bunch of different places. Uh, I was in Lake Clark National Park back in the late 90s and then do a lot of stuff in, in Katmai currently. And then in the middle there, I worked at the McNeil River State Game Sanctuary. Um, it's run by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. And so, yeah, I've basically been bouncing around looking at, uh, looking at brown bears and uh, watching them take advantage of the, the salmon. And so I, by extension, am, am enjoying salmon, uh, but via the bears. There's a lot going on. What with it being uh, spring and we're, we're starting to feel the flutter of migration of species coming back. But we wanted to check in with you today specifically on skinny bears because, you know, we followed Katmai National Parks uh, at Brooks Camp there, their fat bear contest. We wanted to talk about what's happened over the last few months to those bears. And my first question, Drew, could you help us understand what the difference between a brown bear and a black bear is? If you're going to take a brown bear, a grizzly bear, and a Kodiak bear, and you're going to want to boil them down to their essence, you got to look at their Latin name. So all three of those are Ursus Arctis. So you're basically uh, using the different words, brown bear, Kodiak bear, grizzly bear, in Alaska anyway, as a geographic designation. If you're on the, the coastal regions where the bears get a lot of, a lot of salmon, they're generally going to be referred to as brown bears. Uh, if you go up to Denali National Park or up onto the North Slope uh, where those bears don't have access to salmon, uh, they're going to be called grizzly bears. And then uh, I think the last one's pretty obvious. If that bear happens to be on Kodiak Island, uh, it'll be designated as a Kodiak bear. Size is an easy way to tell the difference between the, the grizzly bears and the uh, the brown bears, and it really comes back to how much salmon they have in their diet. Anywhere that there is salmon, that's a fantastic bear habitat, brown bear habitat, and it just allows them to get that much larger than their inland cousins. So they're the same species. Yeah, if you were to just boil it down to its simple essence, we can call them all Ursus arctis, and that would apply to, to all three. You know, every year I follow the fat bear competition and I've got my favorite. Holly is really my favorite and I, I love good old 747. And for our listeners, if you haven't checked out the Fat Bear competition that happens in uh, late August and September when the bears are at their chunkiest, uh, I recommend you go to the National Park Service website. You know, Dave, I got a, I've got a fun story about, uh, about Holly 
your favorite yeah, bear. Tell, what about Holly? She's my gal. You know, so yeah, a few years ago when she, it was actually the year she won the fat bear competition. This is uh, Holly bear 435. And she was huge. I went and saw her the week before the competition and she was so fat. It looked like she couldn't even open her eyelids because they were, they were too much fat. And how many cubs she can have is directly related to her body condition. And so the more fat she has, the more cubs she can have um, because she's, she's using that to get through. She's nursing off of that. And so in the, all the online forums and things like that of, of uh, webcam watchers, everybody was wondering, oh, how many cubs will Holly have? Is she going to have two or four or six or eight no, they don't usually have eight. But, you know, she was so fat, people were wondering how many cubs she could have. And then she fooled them all. Instead of having a bunch of cubs, she just had one giant cub. Wow. <laughs> and it, it was massive. These are, these are cre creatures that get huge uh, in, in that setting. I think it's being called now the, the Bear Coast. Are they the, some of the biggest bears that operate on the planet? They are just that whole western western shores of Cook Inlet, and then over onto the Bristol Bay side, is some of the best bear habitat in the world, um, owing to the fact that it has plentiful salmon runs and and just a variety of food sources for them. Really, um, you think about now early season before the fish have started run, uh, the bears are starting to come out of their dens and amble around, uh, they'll end up in a lot of the, uh, the sedimentos meadows that you can find along the coast. Uh, if you've flown over that part of the world, you can definitely picture where the, the, the rivers are dumping into the, into the, the inlet and you'll have those meadows on either side. Well, it's a really unique ecosystem, uh, where those meadows are actually inundated with saltwater and there are specific types of vegetation that grow there. So early season, you don't normally think of salad bar as being a great place to get protein, but, uh, some of those plants go up to 21% protein in their early stages. So those bears are going to be looking for those sedge meadows here as they, as they roll out of their dens and start roaming around looking for stuff to eat. So they've spent the last six months or so not eating, right? And, and I don't know, are they actually hibernating? Are they sleeping? What's going on in whatever den they've uh, holed up in? Uh, well, for some bears, not much has been going on, but for some bears, a lot has been going on. Um, now, hibernation is not necessarily the most accurate term to describe what bears are doing in their den. They're basically in a lowered metabolic state, uh, better referred to as a torpor. But it's not like they're just out. When they're in their dens, they're not eating, they're not drinking. Um, they recycle waste to fight off lean muscle loss. They can get up, they can move around. Um, so the single bears that are in their den, they have a, a, a hopefully long and restful uh, winter season. But on the other side, the, uh, the females that are pregnant when they went into the dens are actually giving birth in the dens. It's kind of a, a fascinating process to take it uh, you know, all the way through. Mating season is actually in June and they'll mate with multiple partners and every successful mating bout will trigger another egg release. Um, so those eggs will be fertilized. They'll go through a few cell divisions. Um, and then development just stops and those are free floating in there. And then about the time they go into the den, um, they'll implant and that's when development will resume. And they're born in the den just a couple months later. When they're, when they're born, it's tiny. It'll fit in the palm of your hand kind of thing. And then mom just gives them this fat rich milk and so, yeah, it really is just a short developmental period before uh, before those cubs are, are... And now they're coming out in the den, which is a you know, climate-controlled 
environment. And so you think about it, you know, if mom comes out of the den with uh, three cubs, and for math's sake, we'll just call them all 15 pounds. So theoretically, she has nursed uh, 45 pounds of brown bear all off her own body tissue. The whole time she's not eating, she's not drinking. It's all just what she could store up. And so when those cubs come out here soon, uh, that's going to really be where they get their first look at the world and start following mom around about, depends on the depends on the bear, but we'll call it about two and a half years they'll spend with mom learning how to be bears, cruising around, finding out where all the salmon runs are, where's the best place to, to pick berries. Um, and they're, you know, every bear is an individual. They have different personalities. They have different ways of uh, foraging, different places. When do those cubs start chewing on plants or animals, how long before they're able to start their omnivore careers? Well, so right out of the gate, they're, they're nursing. And then when they come out of the den, we'll start them in on, on when she's grazing on that sedge, you'll see the, the small, the cubs of the year will be grazing on the sedge or other plants as well. Um, and then when the salmon start to run, what you'll see most of these cubs are still relying on mom for milk and they're going to be nursing the whole time they're with mom. Um, but in their first year, when those cubs are their absolute cutest, they don't have their grown-up teeth yet. They've got milk teeth. So they, they really have trouble with the salmon skin. And that's, that's how you can see kind of firsthand example of mom being nature's can opener. She might uh, rip open a salmon and toss it over to the cubs. And, and really, at that point, since they're still drinking milk, they're, they're just playing with their food. <laughs> it's, the, it's the bare equivalent of pushing the peas around the plate with the spoon. Uh, but they, they do have a fun time doing it. It's really a lot, of, a lot of fun to watch. Is there a specific learning that happens there in terms of location and technique and, and, and specific food types that are conveyed? Oh, yeah. So if you think of the, the abundant resources available on the Alaska Peninsula, both sides, on the Bristol Bay and on the Cook Inlet side, um, it really is uh, seasonal in nature. So you think about the different run timings and the different times that berries will become ripe. And so these bears are, have learned how to best utilize that. So they might spend a certain amount of time in this sedge meadow and then they'll, uh, then they know that there's a fish run starting up the way. So they'll head over there and then they might hit another fish run when the catch rates get low. And then some of them are going to cross over the mountains and go into the Bristol Bay side of things when that big run of fish hits. And then a lot of them are going to come back over to the Cook Inlet side to finish out their season uh, before they go back in their dens. So really, yeah, those first couple years where they're following mom, they're learning how to move around and utilize this uh, abundant but seasonal resource. Do you have any idea what the difference in size of maybe an adult bear is over, over you know, from April through September, how that changes? <laughs> well, I think that <laughs> exhibit A is going to be the fat bears of, uh, of Brooks Falls there. Uh, they're a good example of just how much weight these bears can put on. And it, in some of them, particularly the, the big males, it's going to be in the several hundred pound range that they're going to uh, utilize to get through the lean times uh, when they're in their dens. Um, but you've got another demographic of bears, the sub-adults or the teenage bears, which when we're out viewing bears, uh, and a lot of times they are the most entertaining because they don't have those big nutritional demands. And so if you want to <laughs> have a truly entertaining bear viewing experience, you go find yourself a couple, couple sub-adults as they uh, 
try to figure out how to be bears. They're the awkward teenagers. So there's a lot of playing around and figuring stuff out. And it's really quite uh, comical at times watching their shenanigans. I, I assume it's not only learning about food, but it's learning how to navigate bear society. <laughs> and it's fascinating how well they potentially can get along. So you look at places like Brooks and then uh, over on the, uh, the Cook Inlet side, you've got the McNeil River State Game Sanctuary, which is, which is the largest congregation of brown bears anywhere on earth. Uh, it's managed by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, and you can actually apply uh, for permits. There's a lottery system to determine who wins. Um, little inside tip, um, two-thirds of the winners of these permits have to be Alaska residents. So uh, if you're an Alaskan and you're listening, now is the, the time to start thinking about putting in for, for McNeil River permits. It's like over there at McNeil, Drew. Well, it's fantastic. It's a it's a camping experience. So you get you'll win a permit for uh, four days, and you'll fly out of Homer, and you land in the lagoon there. So you're obviously in a float plane, and you're met with by fish and game staff, and they get you lined out on where to camp and things like that. And then every day they'll take a group of ten people into the sanctuary to go look at this huge congregation of bears. Um, it's it's really. Uh, it should be on everybody's Alaskan bucket list, just checking it out. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I see those planes take off all through that season from Beluga Lake here in Homer. That's not the only plane that's taken off. Drew, it seems like <laughs> the intensity of uh, people coming to this part of Alaska in order to access those bear viewing experiences is just taken off. Yeah, if you if you look at where things were in the late 90s, and there were a few people doing bear viewing, and I think the, the perfect example is the the Homer Visitors Guide. You know, with your uh, you know, it was always we we were known as the uh, the halibut capital of the world, and and as bear viewing started to gain popularity, um, you started to see more and more bears being represented uh, as part of our, our diverse tourist economy in South Central Alaska. So now we're to the point that you've got. Uh, quite the variety of bear viewing operations that'll take people out. Um, really, you can whatever you're looking for, you can find a company that will will offer that sort of experience. Is this becoming an international destination for bear viewing? It has. It's really opened us up to uh, to new markets. Uh, people love bears, and we are perfectly positioned to be able to to meet that need uh, because we have healthy ecosystems. I think of bear viewing as one of the places where ecology and economy overlap. So here we can we can create jobs, we can pay mortgages, we can uh, put food on the table by sustaining and maintaining uh, these natural ecosystems that just naturally provide. Drew, it seems like most of these bear viewing opportunities are contingent on this concentration of salmon. Yeah, it all comes back to the salmon, really. For so many things that we do in Alaska, it all boils down to the salmon. Now, salmon, in a lot of ways, are the, the, the conduit between the marine ecosystems and the terrestrial ecosystems. And you got to think of bears as, uh, as nature's can opener, really. So as these, bear, or as these fish are swimming back up the streams, the bears are catching them, they're digesting them, they're opening them up so that you know, the gulls, other birds, the, the other smaller animals um, 
can take advantage of, of the scraps. And they're also helping spread that nitrogen through the system, uh, well, through the ecosystem by using their digestive system. I don't want to go into too many details, but uh, it turns out bears don't just shit in the woods. Uh, they shit everywhere. And that's actually very important for passing this nitrogen around uh, the ecosystem. So the salmon are, are not only uh, feeding the bears, but they're, they're uh, fertilizing or regenerating the entire drainage that the, the bear is, is a part of. Exactly. How are, how are bears doing? Well, bears in our part of the world are doing pretty well uh, right now because we still have abundant salmon runs. We still have intact ecosystems. And so really, it's up to us to decide whether or not uh, we want to live in a world that has bears in it. In order to make it hospitable to them, um, it does require large tracts of intact ecosystem because it takes a lot of habitat to make an individual bear, let alone a population like we've got. And so the concerns I have are that if we start looking at putting little projects over here and then little projects over there and then a big project over there, nothing's really looking at the cumulative effects of all of this industrialization. And so when you look at lease sales in Lower Cook Inlet and things like that, that might be viewed as, as just a single event or a single uh, project, really when you take all of the things going on as a whole, it, it kind of spells death by 10,000 paper cuts for, for our intact ecosystems. And we'll see diminishment over time. I used to work in Prince William Sound just before the Exxon Valdez spill. A spill in Lower Cook Inlet would not be a positive thing for salmon and bears. So I appreciate what- I just want to reiterate uh, how important having these healthy populations of bears are to our, our economy, to our Alaskan identity, and that we really can, with some, a few simple uh, uh, lifestyle tweaks, we can all get along. And so moving forward, um, I just like people to have bears on, on their mind as, as they go and recreate or live out in the wilderness. Uh, and then also get out and see them. Uh, take advantage of this world-class opportunity we have right in our own backyard. Yeah, and thank, thank you, Drew. And thank you for reminding us that bears and salmon are joined at the hip here in Alaska and their health and well-being are dependent on, on dependable salmon runs. And it's a, it's a great additional incentive for us to take care of the critters, whether we're going to eat them or watch them or just appreciate their existence. Uh, all of that is, is great information, and, and I really appreciate you joining us here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. But before we go, you've developed a reputation for bear-related jokes. I'm wondering if, if you could leave us, and, and, th and this might be a high bar, but could you leave us with a good joke? about bears <laughs> that's a relative uh okay here we go i'll just give it my best shot so a bear walks into a bar walks up to the bartender and says i'd like a gin and tonic the bartender looks at the bear and says why the big pause that's pretty good <laughs> pretty good. That's that's all we're shooting for. It's pretty good. No, no, you attained the pretty good ratio. That was great. <laughs> and the pauses are terrific, especially on a podcast or a radio broadcast. People are going to be knocking the side of their 
their uh, computer here. That's great. No, that's great. I'm telling that joke. That's mine. I own no Drew, you're a gentleman and a scholar. I appreciate this as well. Thanks for another great episode of Salmon Fest Radio. We'd like to take time to acknowledge all the people that made it happen, starting with Pastor Tim, our music recorder and masterer from Salmon Fest 2021. We want to thank our friends over at KBBI here in Homer who provide the equipment we use. We'd like to thank our featured guests, the Burroughs, Drew Hamilton, and Maisie Hermanson. And of course, Team Salmon Fest will put the festival together going on 11 years. That's right. And Cook Inlet Keeper, who supports and hosts this podcast. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to write a review and rate this on whatever platform you use. If you don't like the podcast, don't even worry about it. But before we forget, we also want to thank our remarkably talented and dedicated producer, Kira Hardy. Props, girl. Thank you, Kira. (laughs) And you're listening to Salmon Salmon Fest Fest Radio. Radio.